From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we have a sponsored interview with Patty Cherry, CTO of Minima. And we're talking proof of work, proof of stake, and Ethereum's merge. But I also want to give you those crypto prices. Bitcoin sitting at $20,230 is down 4.8% in 24. Ethereum is at $1,500, down 7.5%. Tether's number three, USDC's number four, and BNB's number five at 283, down 3.8%. Running off the top 10, we have Binance, XRP, Cardano, Solana, and Dogecoin. Total market cap is under a trillion dollars. It's down 4.5% at $975.3 billion. Our BTC dominance dropped to 39.7%. And F has dropped to 18.9. And now, without further ado, let's get into this conversation. And remember, if you have any questions or comments about this conversation, email me, MatthewAaron at Decrypt.co. Either Patty or myself would be happy to answer any of them and read them on air. Enjoy. Patty Cherry, CTO of Minima Global. Welcome on the show, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I think we're going to get into a very interesting conversation because we have a merge coming up here really soon. It's going to be proof of work to proof of stake on Ethereum. But before we get into that, I want to know two things. One, a little bit about you. Two, a little bit about Minima Global. And why are we talking to you about this? So first question, Patty, who are you? Uh, Yes, I am the CTO of Minima Global. We write a cryptocurrency. I fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole you know, 12 years ago with many of us, still falling. And about five years ago, I felt there were things um, that had been forgotten, decentralization, et cetera, et cetera, in the current pool of coins that are out there. And so we started to write our own coin um, called Minima. So uh, Minima. Yeah, yeah perfect. Yeah. What, what is Minima? Well, um, Minima is a proof of work chain. So that'll, <laughs> that'll be interesting uh, later on in this conversation. And it tries to rectify what I see as the fundamental flaw in all the other chains that are out there, by which I mean, uh, we seem to have forgotten that back in the day, everybody ran everything. Everybody was involved, not only in validating the chain, but in constructing the chain as well. Um, this idea that we can outsource anything to anybody is really a misnomer because eventually that always comes back to bite you. So Minima is written in such a way that every single user on the network not only runs a full validating node, but is also involved in the construction of the chain. And I guess the natural question after that is, why is that important? Look, you know, when you're talking about proof of work, we saw that there are limitations and those limitations inherent in Bitcoin are actually creating the narrative of say Bitcoin. It used to be the uh, peer-to-peer electronic cash system. And now we're talking digital gold because of said limitations. Why is proof of work something that you want to, I guess, adhere to or uphold because of you said consequences? Well, the first thing is that there is a um, non-quantitative quantitative difference between proof of work and proof of stake. What I mean by that is that proof of work is a commodity. Proof of work is a thing. It requires energy to enter the system for, you know, for the system to run. Proof of stake is an equity. It does not require energy to go into the system. When you're trying to create the world's money, we've had commodity money for thousands of years. We understand commodity money, you know, gold, uh, silver, 
even you know even seashells etc cetera, etc cetera. these are things that we are able to quantify and to value whereas we've never really had equity money that's not been a thing in fact it has been a thing for the last 50 years the fiat system and look at where that has got us so if you're trying to build you know the future of the world's monetary backbone as far as i'm concerned it has to be proof of work um, there are use cases for proof of stake the world's money is not one of them and in reference to your point about why you know why does decentralization matter why has minima come along and tried to come out with a new paradigm for blockchains truth is that you know freedom is a right it's not a privilege and you can't be free if you can be censored and currently the only known way the only known way of achieving censorship resistance is through decentralization and this is the thing that satoshi showed us satoshi showed us how it was possible for us to come to consensus in a decentralized environment and before him it simply wasn't possible we didn't have the technology and if it were possible to come up with a centralized censorship resistant system we'd have come up with it by now and so the truth is you have to be decentralized if you want to be censorship resistant and you need to be censorship resistant if you want freedom so everything starts from decentralization you brought into a couple of good questions there, and I'm, we're going to lead, lead into um, you know Eth 2.0 or Eth's merge in a minute. But I think that this is setting the groundwork of what we are talking about. And I, so I really want to dig down deep into this a little bit. One thing you did not answer in that question is scalability, and that's what I was saying with the narrative of Bitcoin has changed. Um, we see that Ethereum as a proof of work system, it has very big scalability issues. Can proof of work be scalable? And second, you also mentioned that. Satoshi proved that there was a way of decentralization and use, the technology didn't exist before Satoshi. Uh, but I would argue that um, our voting system and a decentralized way of uh, creating consensus when it comes to our democracies is a system that always, uh, you know, we're there. Obviously, there's ways of fraud and, 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 and the burden of proof with that. But in generally speaking, if you believe that our democracy works, uh, it is a decentralized consensus mechanism for electing officials. Um, so I would want to push back on there. And unless you want to push back on me saying that that's not actually accurate. Go ahead. Well, please. I'm going to have to say that I don't think social consensus works. And I think we can objectively see that from what is happening in the world around us. You know, reputation systems are not fair and equitable and free. All of them can be gamed. All of them can be hacked. You know, we see this everywhere. You see this in the politicians and what they're doing. Do you feel that you're getting good representation from the people that have been voted through the democratic process? Because I have to say that I don't feel that way here in the UK. So um, I would say that the idea that social consensus is enough is mistaken. And actually, this is the thing that Satoshi came along with. And he said, well, look, what if we actually had you know, one user, one vote? And this is what the proof of work system entails. Um, as far as uh, switching to the proof of stake system, eh, wh where to begin with that? Well, um, can we, can and, we touch on the scalability question first? Yes, uh, again, absolutely. Proof of work, yeah. They, you, you said that um, we need to have proof of work, but I haven't seen it scalable yet. Um, well, what I, if, if I may, what I would argue is that the scalability issue has frankly nothing to do with whether you're proof of work or proof of stake. Proof of work and proof of stake are the engines that run the blockchain. They are not in and of themselves the thing that causes the scalability. As far as any layer one goes, all of them, including minima, layer one does not scale. This is like objective fact. So whenever I see chains say, yeah, we can handle 150,000 transactions per second, 
What I know is that they have sacrificed decentralization to achieve this, and ergo, they have sacrificed their censorship resistance. So the truth is, um, the scalability cannot occur on layer one. Luckily, we have solutions to this. On Bitcoin, this is known as the Lightning Network. That is where the scalability takes place, on the higher layers above layer one. Ethereum is trying to do this with loads of side chains you know, that are built on top of it. Although I would say the idea that you can stick one piece of unscalable technology, a blockchain, onto another piece of unscalable technology, another blockchain, and that somehow this equals a scalable system seems incorrect to me. Yeah, Bitcoin's lightning network does not use a blockchain. Bitcoin's lightning network uses a completely different paradigm of peer-to-peer -peer transactions, channels. I'm not going to get into the complexities of it. But that technology is scalable. What we mean by that is that there is no limit, frankly, to the number of transactions that you can process on the Lightning Network. Peer-to-peer, -peer, it is instant and free. The only determining factor is the speed of the hardware you're running on. So as far as scalability concerns go, I just don't think it is a proof of work versus proof of state thing, as seems to be the general idea You know, when you're in the Twitter space and all of this. This is frankly more to do with what is your layer two technology and how does it you know interface with your layer one tech thank you for thank you for that uh, going back to the decentralization um satoshi question i wasn't implying that one works and one doesn't i was implying that decentralized systems have existed in some shape or form but um i guess if we were going to say which ones work for the attended goal uh, then that is always up for debate if a voting system or a Satoshi system are both are both there. And then we can debate on what the intended goal is. And if it's just to have transparency and uh, uh, putting numbers into a block, uh, then Satoshi system is absolutely right. And that's exactly how it is. Now, the unintended consequences, we could uh, also debate, but we're not going to go there right now. I want to go into what is proof of work versus proof of stake. And can you set this up to juxtaposing that with Ethereum? Firstly, I think that the, uh, the arguments against proof of work being energy intensive are uh, misaligned. The truth is that Agreed. the energy that the miners are using, they pay for. You know, It's a market. If you want to use the energy, you can use it. If you find something, a better use for that energy, you should use it. So the fact that it uses energy is not itself a bad thing. Also, the fact that it uses energy is precisely why there is a price floor. It is precisely why Bitcoin is actually valuable because there is any, you know, if, if, if it costs you $10 to mine an ounce of gold, an ounce of, out of the ground, then an ounce of gold would cost about 12 bucks. The reason it currently costs 1400 bucks or whatever it is, is because it costs 1100 bucks to get it out of the ground. So there is a clear physical connection between the amount of energy that goes in and you know, the, the price of the good. With proof of stake, this is not the case. With proof of stake, um, rather than it being a nice logical linear argument, you know, the proof of work argument goes, it's expensive to mine. And if it's expensive to mine, then it's expensive to attack the network. And if it's expensive to attack the network, then the network is secure. And if the network is secure, then you can store valuable things on it securely. And if you can store valuable things on it securely, then you know, the network is valuable. Whereas with a proof of stake system, you have to start with the assumption that you know, Ethereum, for instance, is valuable. You know, the, the, the capital costs are a lot to, to set up a mining unit. So Ethereum is valuable, therefore is it is expensive to mine. 
you know, to stake. And if it's expensive to stake, then it's expensive to attack. And if it's expensive to attack, then it's, you know, it must be secure. So, you know, the, the, the stuff must be secure and it must be valuable. But if you see what I've done there, I've actually done a circular logical fallacy because I started with Ethereum is valuable and I ended with Ethereum is valuable. You know, you can't give yourself a leg up. It's like it's relying on itself. It's basically a confidence, you know, confidence trick, very much like Luna and USRT, frankly. What I mean by that is as long as everybody believes Ethereum is valuable, then it has value. But as soon as, you know, people start to leave a sinking ship, as soon as people stop believing that Ethereum is valuable, then there's nothing to keep it being valuable, unlike a proof of work chain. Um, that is in terms of the monetary, you know, the monetary versus a proof of work chain. There are use cases where I would use a proof of state chain as opposed to a proof of work chain. So that's interesting. Now, I guess what I would push back, and I'm not pushing back because I disagree, I'm pushing back for the conversation purpose. Yeah. Um, you said something's valuable because we said it's valuable and it's, and it's into a circular logical fallacy. Um, yeah. But doesn't utility create value as well? Because you, you must mention that it's energy or what is being put into it when it comes to like a proof of work system. You know, you use the gold example, you use the Bitcoin example, and you give different price points there. But I mean, is it really hard to make a hammer? But a hammer is very useful because of utility. Will Will Ethereum have mm -hmm. enough utility to be to be valuable in, in, innately because of what it can do and what it does? I, I, I totally agree. And what I would say is that Vitalik was right first time round. So originally, when he launched Ethereum, he said that ETH was gas. ETH was the currency that was used to power these smart contracts. And so the way that I would value Ethereum is I would say, well, look, how much does it cost to run the network? And they would say, well, it costs us, you know, in all the computers all over the world for the year, it costs us 100 million. Let's say it costs $100 million to run the Ethereum network. Then they should be making $150 million a year in fees. They should be making half a million dollars in fees a day. And from that number, you would actually be able to determine what the cost of gas and what the price of Ethereum should be. Currently, Ethereum is making $30 million a day on fees, which is clearly because it's a speculative asset rather than an asset that you're using because of its utility. So yes, there is a value that you can put on that use, but it certainly isn't the value that you would get from a monetary good. The monetary premium comes from the commodity aspect of proof of work. The monetary value of Ethereum is the cost of running the network divided by, you know, what you're doing, if you see what I'm saying. I do. I do. Um, and I, I guess that if you turn it into a proof of stake, take the proof of work out, does that not bolster the um, utility aspect of it? Well, if we're going to talk about what's happening at the moment. Let's talk about so what's happening at the moment. Let's, let's talk about what's happening at the moment. You know, because the truth is, you know, if ETH can't pull this off, no one can. Yeah, as far as uh, smart devs out there, there's the Bitcoiners and there's the Ethereums. There's all the other chains trying to be proof of stake chains, blah, blah, blah. But frankly, if Ethereum can't pull this off, no one can. For the last five years, we have been warning them that what is going to happen is that all of the stake is going to be centralized in a couple of entities and they are going to have all the staking power. I don't know why that wasn't heeded. I don't know what you know has been going on up in the upper echelons, but here we are a week before they say we're going to do this merge and it's already captured. It's already, it's already in the hands of three companies that own 66% of the stake and who are actively saying we are going to censor transactions, you know, at the base level. And do you know so, who those companies are offhand? 
you know, Coinbase, Binance, Lido, you know, American yeah. companies who are well within, who absolutely do not want to face 30 years in jail. The American government said, you're not allowed to include these transactions. Now, as a blockchain developer, you have one job. There is only one thing that a blockchain is good for. It isn't the number of transactions per second. I have that with Visa. It isn't the convenience. It's very hard to beat contactless payments, you know, with a credit card. And unfortunately, it's not smart contracts either. You know, the entire Ethereum network is less powerful than my single bad boy AWS PHP server. So if you're going to go for a centralized system, if you're going to go for a system where transactions can be censored, you know, there's infinitely better ways of doing it than trying to run it on Ethereum. The only reason, the only reason we're doing it on these blockchains is because they're supposed to be decentralized and they're supposed to be censorship resistant. And if you don't have the censorship resistant, there is no point using a blockchain. They are literally a thousand times slower and a thousand times more expensive than simply using a centralized system. You know, you're getting a million time, a million times worse throughput, a million, you know, worse user experience because we're using a blockchain. But I, you know, we'll put, we will put up with that as long as it's censorship resistant. But if you don't have that, then there's no point using a blockchain. You know, it's just not what a blockchain is meant to be used for, using the wrong tool for the wrong job. Um, and that's what I see currently in the, in the EVE too much. We've now come up with it. And, you know, there's a lot of talk out there about that's okay. We're going to have sort of government sanction chain and then the sort of TradFi and DeFi, DeFi and TradFi. We're going to have some people doing the legitimate stuff and some people doing the, 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 the stuff that the government doesn't like. That's completely wrong. Yeah, there's zero point using a chain where I have to jump through hoops, where I have to ask for permission. You know, KYC on a DEX doesn't work. I won't use it. The capital will not flow to those locations because why would I spend a thousand times, you know, more fees, run it a thousand times less when I still have to jump through hoops? It just doesn't make any sense. So either they give me a system that I can use whenever I want to do whatever I want, or I'm just going to use Coinbase. Yeah, or I'm just going to use BitMEX. Or you're just going to use Visa. Yeah, um, no, okay, exactly the same system. Just Stripe, lot, Visa, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the Where? one thing you have to do. <laughs> okay, so you, you make a lot of very, very valid points. And um, I guess what people are going to try to assess after these valid points are, is what does post-Ethereum merge look like? Does this look like, you know, this is obviously speculation. You said if Ethereum can't pull it off, there are the only people that can pull it off. So you have some confidence that they're going to pull this off without a hitch. But what does that look like? Here, two scenarios. Let me give you two scenarios. The first sure. one is if Ethereum's merge goes by without a hitch, any no glitch, no nothing. They did all these testnet merges and everything looks great. What does Ethereum look like? The second one is what if it fails? So first, what is it? if it goes off without a hitch, what does it look like? Uh, well, given what we currently know about the current staking situation, what we have is, I, I believe that they are smart enough to pull this off. I believe, you know, and I am, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not here to berate all of these other chains. I'm not here to say, you know, what they have done, what Metamask does, the, you know, the amount of innovation, the AMMs, Uniswap, Aave, all of that stuff is wonderful. I'm a techie. I'm a coder. I love seeing that stuff. It's great to see. Um, but what we, what the situation we now find ourselves in is that um, they come up with a system called proof of stake, which effectively says the majority of the state gets to decide what happens. Okay, I can understand that. How does it run? 
Now they're saying, well, actually, the majority of the state, Coinbase, Binance, Lido, have said they're not going to include these transactions. They're going to censor at the base level. So what, 20 developers plus Vitalik are going to be pointing at the people they think are being naughty and are going to start slashing their coins. So they're basically introducing social consensus back into the system. They're basically saying, look, we're going to be the ones that decide whether or not you have done the correct thing, not the stake, not the whole system that we've got here called proof of stake. We are going to be the arbiters of what is right and wrong on the chain. And if we say you've been naughty, we're going to, you know, user activate a software. We're going to do something. We're going to take your coins. We're going to take Coinbase's coins. You're going to penalize the millions of users who frankly have no idea what is going on. Yeah. Who just put their money in the ETH2 staking contract because they were making yield and they were, you know, everybody told them to do that. This is completely and utterly unacceptable. It's garbage. Yeah. You cannot have a system which is run by social consensus, or you may as well just run it on social consensus. Just have these 20 guys running a big fat server. And they can decide what, what transactions go in or not. It'll be a thousand times quicker. It'll be a thousand times cheaper. I don't need to use Ethereum if you are going to be the ones that are deciding who is being naughty or not. So, so, what, so what you're so what you're saying is that F is going if F goes off without a hitch, the only thing you have is a, is is a centralized dictatorship of consensus and the moral aptitude of the chain instead of that being decided by the the, the stakers or proof of work system just running naturally you're going to have a king of ethereum yeah unfortunately what i think the overarching problem is is that what we are seeing in front of us is the end game for all proof of stake chains yeah when you meet a lot of smart people what you realize is that very often they they seem to be lacking in an understanding of the human condition you know, so they're like, look, these people should know that they, 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 you know, what they're asking people to do is withdraw their funds from Coinbase and somehow go to smaller outlets or leave Binance and go here. They're never going to do this. Yeah, these, these are customers. They don't know anything about technology. They certainly don't know anything about different websites. They are not going to do that. And they should have known this. You know, they should have realized that the state was going to centralize, as we've been telling them for many years, in these centralized pools and that they were going to have all the power. So how is this going to be different for any other proof of stake chain? What we are witnessing is the end game for all of them. You know, 1% of the world own more than everybody else put together. Don't tell me that money is somehow fairer than proof of work, that somehow this isn't going to centralize, because that's what has been happening for thousands that's of a, years. That's a very interesting uh, That's a very interesting idea. And just to clarify to everybody what, what we're talking about and clarify for myself as well, is Coinbase got all these coins because they are creating a pool. And so I'm giving, you know, uh, my Ethereum to Coinbase. You're giving Ethereum to Coinbase. Your friends are giving Ethereum to Coinbase. And now they control this large stake of Ethereum. It's not that they are buying it up. It's just that we are no. willingly giving them this um validation method yes without malice you know without prejudice we're just like oh that looks good i'm not i'm not a techie i've got some eth i want to earn some yield fantastic i'll give it to my you know website that i've trusted for many years and you know there's i'm not doing it for any you know nefarious reasons and yet here we are in this situation now. It's the same thing with your US dollars. It's not that uh, Chase, you know, is, well, we can talk about Chase all day long, but I put my money into Chase, my US dollars into Chase Bank, not for um, nefarious reasons, or and they're not having, but they're holding it. And then you have this uh, fractionalized banking, they're investing, they're doing this, this, their decisions of what happens with your money. Go try to get your money if you there's a run on the bank. Also, now you're talking about there's the Fed controlling Chase, and which is, Vitalik or whoever is these centralized people who's controlling the chain. Now the Fed is telling Chase how that money is supposed to be issued and how it's going to be ran. If it's not being ran the way you want it to be, Fed, then they're going to sh- shut down your money and shut down Chase. 
you know, th this is exactly what our technology, this is exactly what a blockchain is meant to remove from the equation, this sort of human element, this social element, this idea, you know, this should not be possible. It should not be possible for the chain to not do what the majority of the users want it to do. And in this situation, as with all, you know, these proof of stake chains, I mean, I'd like to add, if when would I use proof of stake? Yeah, it's not like proof of stake isn't useful. It's just because it doesn't have value, because it's not a thing. If I were 10 banks and we wanted to transact with each other in a way that was auditable and non-forgeable and where all of us had to follow the rules and where we, you know, where we were deciding, I'd give 10% of the stake to this proof of stake change to each of the banks and we would use it. There's no point using proof of work for that system. So if there is a value already to those, you know, to that stake if the, if the if the stake actually represents something in the real world stakes in these banks stakes in this in this voting system fine that's a good reason for using it but that is a permission system that is not a permissionless system that is a system where the banks get to decide who is on the chain that is a system where they have their own thing going on and they can say okay now none of us can screw the other over fantastic the world's money must be permissionless yeah money is a utility the world's money cannot be permissioned I cannot be asking someone permission to use my money how I right. want to use it. So this to, is why we have to use. Proof let's of go work. to this. Let's go to this last question I asked earlier. We have, we have only have a couple minutes left, and that's what if this fails? What if this merge fails? What happens to Ethereum? What happens to all this this capital? What happens to all this uh, uh, equity liquidity? What what happens if this does not go off without a hitch? I mean, from a technical point of view, I think they are going to pull it off. I can't see how after five years of working on this, they're not going to be able to do some sort of merge and do whatever. Well, thanks for the confidence. What if? <laughs> I mean, let's be clear. Are, are, we, are, we, are we all screwed? No, like, no, no, we're absolutely not. We will learn a lot from this situation. We will well, I'm talking about the investors. I'm talking about the F holders, the people who are running, you know. Um... Oh, yeah, there's going to be a bloodbath. No, no, no question about okay, that. Okay, so yeah. it's, it's done. All the as NFTs are done. Goes, the projects sorry, are done. I'm talking the about the overarching fight for freedom, you know. Oh, the, okay, okay. Yeah, fine. The, the bigger grandiose themes the and bigger the grandiose great. Picture, yeah, but everybody's yeah. just screwed. Everybody's, money, your money's <laughs> gone. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, the flight, the flight will take time. There'll probably be a lot of money to be made. The speculation will be rife. There'll be graphs going up and down, big swings here and there. Um, but it's interesting because I would, you know, sometimes when I when I speak to people, I, I explain to them that Bitcoin is actually only one opcode away from Ethereum. So when we think of Ethereum, the reason everybody loves it is because you've got MetaMask and you've got all these functions and you've got all, you know, got all these applications that you could use. The Bitcoiners could have done that. It could be possible, you know, if you could, you know, what Bitcoin needs to be able to do that is a couple of opcodes. When I say opcodes, what I mean is that the programming language that we get on Bitcoin is very limited. Yeah, it's very harsh. And if you just gave us two or three more functions, there's, there's infinite things that we could do. All the things that you see on Ethereum, we could do. They choose not to. We, you know, the world, this sort of mass of this cyber hornet's nest, choose not to do that. They could do a, an opcode that is OP, you know, EVM. Now just do one opcode that does EVM compatibility and then off you go to the races, blah, blah, blah. So I think what's more interesting is that what Ethereum has shown us is what you get in a permission, supposedly permissionless programmatic environment. Yeah, we've had 10 years where programmers have basically been allowed to do whatever they want in a financial sense and look at what they have achieved. Look at the wonder and the beauty of the things that have been produced out there. That cannot be denied. Yeah, all this, all this tokenization, all these, you, you know, AMMs, you know, the lending protocols, the way that you can over collateralize, you know, CDPs, blah, blah, blah. Beautiful. 
that's definitely got a future, you know, that we're definitely going to be doing these things. Now, are we going to be doing them on Ethereum or are we going to be doing them on the winning chain, you know, the eventual winning power chain? So last question, I shouldn't be asking this because we do have to get off really quick, but is this a conspiracy then? This is, I don't know. I'm just going to go out here. Is, 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 did somebody go to the Vitalik and say, hey, you know no. what? We, we, don't, we don't want this anymore. Like, we're going to just centralize you and no. you, you got, you're going to leave, um, live with it. No, I... I is, he, is, he, is, it, is, it, is it the, the Fed mafia? I see mafia no malice going? from Vitalik. I, I see no malice from Vitalik. <laughs> but what I will say is that really, really smart people say stupid stuff all the time. People seem to think just because you're smart, you don't make mistakes, you know? Well, I'm, I'm afraid that cannot be true because you've got some very, very smart Bitcoiners and you've got some very smart Ethereum sitting on both sides of the argument. They can't both be right. And so, frankly, as I mentioned earlier, there, was a, there, there, is, a, there is a certain gap between you know, these people who are clearly on the scale, clearly Vitalik's a genius, clearly all of this. They just don't understand humanity, the way the incentive structure of how we actually operate as a, as a people, as a, you know, and, and that is what causes this situation. We're, we're not doing it thinking all the things he's thinking. They're not doing it because, you know, they're actually trying to consider what the consensus ramifications are of putting their money on Coinbase. That never even occurred to them. Yeah. And it somehow managed to, you know, not occur to the, you know, 100, 200 devs who are currently working on the five different ETH2 clients. And it's like, lads, what happens when normal people use this? And what happens when they put their money into these centralized exchanges, et cetera, et cetera? Very interesting conversation. Thanks for having this conversation with us. I think you just made this whole conversation going into the merge a lot more rich, uh, at least for my listeners. Uh, and I think it's going to be very appreciated. If you are listening to this and you want to ask Patty any questions, email me, Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. I'll make sure that it's forwarded to him. And maybe we'll do a uh, follow up to this or maybe a Q&A or, or maybe I'll just read these emails and the answers from Patty on the air. Patty Cherry, CTO of Minima Global. Thank you very, very much for coming on the show, having this discussion. And it was very nice meeting you, sir. The pleasure was absolutely mine. Thank you so much, Matthew. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, share, leave us a comment. Obviously, if you're on Spotify, click those five stars. And I will see you on Monday. And until then, happy hodling, everyone.